G'day teabaggers and faux foppers. Uh, it's Will here from Montreal. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Rove talking all about the Just for Laughs Festival. Uh, for people in Montreal, uh, I am in Montreal and I am doing shows. I've uh, done a few great ones already. Uh, Todd Barry and Friends last night was fantastic. Thanks to everyone who came out to that. And uh, the Super Secret Midnight Show on uh, Sunday night was one of the best fun shows I've ever had here. So uh, tonight I am doing a set list uh, with Sam Simmons, Rich Hall, Jimmy Carr. It's going to be massive. And tomorrow night I'm doing uh, Deanne Smith's uh, show, Stand Up, Strip Down. And on Saturday night I'm doing the uh, Sarah Silverman Gala uh, with uh, Tignataro and Jimmy Carr and it's going to be absolutely massive so uh, if you're in town come and check that out uh, I'm also coming to Washington DC for the first time uh, Friday August the 2nd and Saturday August 3rd uh, at Living Social's 918 F Street um, I'd love if uh, any Aussies in uh, Washington DC came down or if you know anyone who's in town uh, send them down that would be fantastic uh, and in Australia my Goodwill tour is now on sale so uh, August 30. I'm coming to Perth. It's going to be massive. Uh, Friday, September the 13th. I'm doing my first big Sydney shows for ages. I'm going to be at the Enmore Theatre. Um, that's on sale at the moment too. Uh, Thursday, September the 6th, uh, 26th. I'm uh, in Chatswood for the first time. And uh, Thursday, October the 10th, I am coming to Canberra for one night only. So those uh, shows are on sale at the moment too. So uh, if you want to come and see some shows, support the podcast, uh, that would be Absolutely fantastic. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed the episode. The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15 and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. The father of the and the holy place. Uh, hello, welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson. Uh, Rove McManus, guest Charlie, is here. Um, a uh, Montreal, just for laughs. We're yes. both off to that festival. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what are you garlering? I'm just garlering. And um, um, who who is hosting your garland? I don't know that yet. All my stuff has only just come through, literally, in the last 48 hours. So they're still, you know, juggling flights and stuff. So I haven't, I haven't even been given the full details of it all yet. But uh, this is only my second time. Okay. And uh, I must admit, even having done it the first time, I thought, well, that's it. I, I, I never thought I would even get to do it. It's one of those things. It's like, uh, yeah, as as you start out as as a as a comic, one of the first things I was ever really privy to when it came to international comedy was was just for laughs yep. like i remember the first time you know it, it, i saw you know oh god i'm trying to think of who like george wallace or um i remember seeing him for the first time at watching a, a just for laughs special um and and any especially the american stuff because you know we got a lot of uk influence in australia but not much of the american so every year when the just for last special would come around 
you just see this string of, of great uh, international names. Usually American back then, but uh, I loved it. And, and it was, I don't know, so it kind of became this thing that... It's the Olympics of comedy. It is. Although it is. weirdly, uh, like the opposite of the Olympics, the Montreal Jazz for Last Festival has become a lot less drug addicted. <laughs> Like, it's really weird, that attitude. You go down there. Like, in fact, I was talking to Jake Johansson, whose house I'm staying in at the moment, who we've had on the podcast. And he he just was excited I was going because I drink. He said, it's so lonely for American comedians who'd like to have a drink because no one drinks. They're all really serious. Yeah. And, I mean, it's like anything. You hear the stories of, oh, what it used to be like. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I feel the Melbourne International Comedy Festival still has a lot of that. Like, there's still people are playing as hard as they work during that. Oh, Yeah. But uh, Montreal the opposite of rehab. <laughs> the Melbourne Comedy Festival is like we have to do our busiest month of the year, but we're also going to try to live like Charlie Sheen while we're doing it. Everybody uh, tries to just get those first, yeah, you know, that first week sort of out of the way. Halfway through the second week, you know, the show is bedded in now. I know what I'm saying when I get out there. I kind of have an idea of is this season going to be a good one or a bad one, and so I don't have to care anymore. I can yeah. just, I can just let loose. And, and either way. I need to get fucked up now. <laughs> the worst, the one time I thought maybe I have a, a, a problem or and and developing a drinking condition that is of concern was was during one was when comedy you were festival. D- 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 describing your drinking as a drinking condition. Of well, it was concern. the f- well because I wasn't saying it wasn't an addiction. It wasn't like it was it wasn't anything like that or a dependency. It was no. just I was drinking a lot, and it was during the comedy festival to the point where. You know, you'd start the night with doing shots because you go, if I just start drinking, it's going to take too long to get to where I need to. Let's just get, <laughs> let's just, let's not mince words here. And it was really nocturnal. So yeah. you'd be out till the sun was coming up. You'd be catching public transport home with people who are obviously very well dressed and on their way to work. Yeah. And you're trying not to look like a bobblehead. And then sleep till kind of noon using the Phil Donahue's and Ricky Lakes of the day to be your breakfast morning television and then and then going out and doing it all night and then it just got to the end of the festival where I was just like man I'm drinking a lot and not feeling drunk that's a worry considering how much I am actually drinking and so I went well if I had a pretty full-on month I'll take a month off just to kind of detox and and that actually ended up going, so that's April, so I would have been dry in May. And then that lasted till Christmas. I just kept it up for a month and then just went, oh, I'll do it again. Just wasn't drinking. And then come Christmas, I was just like, this is a really dumb idea. But anyway, I, I got to the point where I was just like, I don't think I'm ever going to get to do Montreal in the same way that I, I will never get to do Edinburgh. Because I started doing stand-up but then got – into television a lot earlier than I expected. And before I'd really, uh, you know, I, I knew who I was as a comic and certainly felt confident on stage as a comic, but I certainly had not branded myself as a stand-up and then when I got into television, it was a natural evolution. And it's Most people you... probably found me through TV right. and then stand-up afterwards. And what people don't understand is as much as it's fun to go and do an Edinburgh and it's a real challenge... Like, it's hard when you're doing a, you know, 40-week-a-year television oh, show yeah. to go, hey, you guys, I know that everyone's job in this studio relies on me doing this every week, but I'm going to take a month off to go to Edinburgh and flush some money down a toilet. <laughs> 
<laughs> and knowing that that first time is going to be brutal. Oh, it be always, terrible. always is. Yeah. Everything's uh, going too well. I'd like to go to a country <laughs> where no one knows me. So, Most people hate me because I'm from Australia <laughs> and I have to hand out flyers with my own name for a month. Yeah, I'm going to completely shred any dignity I have built over the last few years to get me here. Yeah. Just to say, I've done this. With Can some you kind of tell budget. Will Ferrell and Matt Damon to come back in November? <laughs> because I'll be in Scotland. Well, even when I would, I, I would tour, and I would only get to sort of do a tour maybe once every three years or so. Because for that reason as well, like doing stand up, it's different with TV. It took me a while to feel comfortable having people write jokes for me. In the first year of, of doing the show, I was like, no, 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 I, I'm, I, I will write my monologue myself. And then over the years, you feel more comfortable with having contributors in to the point where then everything is very collaborative. So then when I went to do uh, not my first tour, but my, my second tour, which was well and truly into my television career, about five years into it, uh, I had all our writers on the show saying, you know, do you want us to write some stuff? And I was like, no, no, I need to prove to myself and to everybody else that, you know, not that I'm stamping it with this but just if anyone asks i want to be able to say no this is my stuff i and the amount of people who would say to me oh so like doing interviews so what made you want to go back to stand up you're like it's not going back to it it's always been there i just when you do 40 weeks a year of live television the idea of you know even getting out to do a couple of club gigs a week let alone a full run or like you say go to edinburgh for a month it's just not going to happen so then when the show finished like the first year i was i was uh out uh got the call saying you know we'd like you to come and do montreal and i was just like holy shit okay that's fantastic so did a show that year did just a 30 minute uh show and and the gala and got to do it with um steve martin oh really which was so extraordinary wow because when I turned up and I, I didn't know wow. what it was like and for anyone who's either not been or is not even in, in our business, it's kind of like a conference. It's like a comedy conference right. where during the day there's talks and seminars and it's all kind of based out of this hotel that there's everybody's in- booked in. There's an industry address. Yeah. It's, you know, people give talks and so like i would go and uh like the guy the funny or die guys did uh, like the q a session there were, uh, all these writers from all these different late night shows were there and um which was um uh, chaired by bill carter who wrote the um uh, the late night tv, the late wars. Night TV wars and desperate networks and uh all that kind of stuff so that was fascinating so you do that during the day if you choose to then you either go and watch a show or perform your show that night. And most people have got gigs on to do. And uh, anyways, and so they like a conference, they have an office and you go there and they give you all the stuff that's on during the day and you get your little pass and they say, if you need any tickets to shows, let us know. However, if you want a ticket to the Steve Martin Gala, don't even ask. We just can't. Everyone wants one. And it was very cool to be able to turn around and go, well, I don't have to because I'm on that one. Yeah. They said, well, you still need a ticket. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Should I just go over here? Just yeah. go over here. It's $1,500 a spot. But I uh, had never done... <laughs> they give you an invoice. I, I didn't know how the galas worked either. Right. And I assumed that there would be... There's two halves. Yes. Most shows, there's a break in the middle. Uh-huh. Just when there's so many people on, it just sort of helps. So uh, when I was finding out where I was, they said, you're second on after the 
the break. Okay. So I'm thinking intermission interval, you know, we'll be back after this, house lights come up. So uh, they get everybody into your show clothes before it starts and you record a few promos because this thing plays all over the world. So you do one generic one and one for your home country in the outfit you're going to wear on stage. And then most people... Uh, because I'm not on in my head till the second half. Yep. So I got changed again because I thought I want to, you know, wreck my good show clothes. So I took them off again thinking I've probably still got two hours to go. Most people kept theirs on, but a couple of them I was like, well, yeah, they're on early or you know, maybe it's just what they want, they feel comfortable with. But I had a suit and I didn't, I didn't want to. So then um, at one point I went side of stage and watched Steve Martin. He was on with his, um, the, the Canyon Rangers, his um, bluegrass group yeah. playing a song. So they're just sort of playing and I'm watching them and they did maybe two songs or something like that. And uh, so I watched that and it was great. And then uh, they brought the next act out and uh, I went backstage again because it's easier to sort of watch it on the monitor. And I was watching and then just suddenly had this realisation of, oh, that's the guy who's on the list before me. And I turned to someone and said, oh, is that, uh, have they changed the order around? And uh, the response was no, no. And I said, oh, so wait a minute. So am I after him? And they went, yeah. And I said, I thought there was going to be a break. And they said, there was, the music break. That was the music break that Steve did with his band. I was like, so is there like an actual break where the audience goes and, you know, gets more drinks and chocolates and goes to the toilet? No, 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 no. Right. So I'm up next. Yeah. And I'm not dressed. No. Like, did any, was anyone going to say anything? Right. And my manager, my US manager, who was very new at the time, this yeah. was our first kind of yeah. little date together. Right was going, I said, why didn't anybody fucking say anything? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, I thought... I just thought this is how you got ready for a gig. You know, and I asked your Australian manager yeah. and he said, he look, he's fine. pretty chilled. Yeah. He's done a lot of live work. You know, sometimes I've even seen him, you know, talking backstage right up to the last second right. and then he walks out. You Often he likes to put his suit on while he's being introduced. Yeah. <laughs> so I've just suddenly gone, fuck, fuck. So in my head right. I'm going, right. Do we I get... wear the clothes you're wearing right now exactly. or do I get changed? And going, we've got seven minutes on stage. Yeah. This guy's probably done, I want to say two, just for safety. Yeah. I've got about five minutes to go get changed out of what I'm wearing into a suit and get into my position ready to go. Yeah. And did Luckily, it. But in your a dressing room was a phone booth. <laughs> in a mad panic and just completely, like my head is just completely out of the game now. Right. I'm just lost. I'm sweating. Because the I'll last go, thing Fuck. you want to do before you go on stage is be all stressed and tense. You want, and I was so in the zone. Yeah. I was like, I feel good I'm about relaxed. my stuff. You've tested it all week, ready to go. I'm going to impress Steve Martin. This will be great. Yeah. I know my shit works. And then suddenly just going, holy fuck, I'm not going to be ready or I'm just, I'm frazzled. Got myself backstage and just said to everyone, just get out of my way, get out of my way. And made it there in time for the last guy to finish. And Steve comes out, just does a back announce, I think did one or two jokes very quickly, and then started the intro. And I just had a moment where I said to myself, this is it. Like, this may not ever happen again. Here you are. Like, take the moment and don't let everything that's happened before fuck you up. This, you're, you're about to go out onto the stage at Montreal. You've always felt that you would do well here, that this is a good sort of audience for you, and here's your chance to show that. And 
thankfully, they decided for something different. They were going to bring me down a, se- a couple of steps. So I had the time to walk out, come down these steps, and there was some music playing. And the whole time I'm sitting there going, now I was toying with the idea of opening and, and intentionally mispronouncing Montreal just for fun right. and calling it Montreal. Uh, and just going, should I do that? Should I not do that? <laughs> I have not done that at all up until this oh, you point. you haven't practiced it that Haven't way. done it. Haven't done that anywhere. But something in my brain is going, that might be fun. And then just... So that's quit. what you should do when you're finally doing this thing. Because you also have to put in your script and stuff for these gigs. They want to know exactly what you're going to say. In fact, months before, you have to give them the sense of it will come from... This material. And yeah. you're just like, no, nah, fuck it. I'm going to improv from yeah. the start. Yeah. And it's like, what part of your brain just goes, put that out there? Because if it doesn't work, you'll be fine after that. The first, the first thing out of your mouth, make right. it a, an each way bet. Make it something that <laughs> might be terrible. And if it doesn't go well, insults their town and their yeah. audience. If anything, there's more chance that it won't go well. Right. Either they'll get it straight away. <clears throat> Let's ignore that for a second. Right. Our other two options are they they still get it, but they don't think it's funny. Or they sit there going, did he intentionally right. call us Montreal? Does he he's know a, that's how it's not pronounced? He's got a weird accent. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a accent. thing. And it's just confusion. Yeah. So uh, I'm still going, should I still do that or not do that when I hear my name introduced? And I'm walking down the steps, still a bit frazzled, and they were playing this music that had this weird kind of beat to it. And so as I was making my way down the steps, I kind of ended up, you know, jumping to the beat. And then the audience started clapping along to the beat. Oh. So then as I'm taking my moment to walk out to the center of stage to the microphone, I started just sort of stomping my foot like a little jig thing. Yeah. So then they kept going and then they started speeding up. So then I started speeding up and speeding up until it was just like this you know, huge round of applause sort of thing. And then uh, I said... Uh, I said something about, oh, is that just something you guys do? Like, oh, oh, ha, 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 let's make the Australian die of a heart attack by making him dance to death. And uh, it, it was a nice little icebreaker. Right, perfect. So Cause then... Because they've invited you in. Yeah. They've started it. It was a great little moment where right. you go, even though this is probably the most important stand-up gig I will ever do, right. and I know that this airs everywhere, uh there's still this little something that the audience is going, this is not part of the plan. This is this was not in that script that he sent out. Right. And yeah, imagine if it was. Uh, if the band could play something jaunty. Jaunty. <laughs> and then, uh, as a quick side note, afterwards, uh, as you know, I'll get to that after. So then I've come, I've come out, and then so that kind of worked as a nice little icebreaker. So then I just go, oh, fuck it, and I went, Montreal! And they laughed. And I, was like, <laughs> and I followed up with a, I'm pretty sure that's what you call it. And then got into it. So what went to where was from Montreal. Yeah. But what you don't see is the dancing the jig thing till I nearly collapse. So right from the get-go, I have just got sweat oh, coming right. off it from the nerves the frantic backstage stuff to dancing this jig. So right from the get-go, I'm dripping with sweat and I'm on this adrenaline high. And it went really, really well. But then afterwards when I uh, There's I, people I back in up, Australia they're going, hey, Rove's uh, doing really well uh, overseas and I think he's addicted to heroin. <laughs> <laughs> he did. That comedy festival hit him really, really? badly. 
He rebounded badly. <laughs> he was off the drinks until Christmas, <laughs> but I feel like he might be taking heroin. Yeah, that's how that's how you stay off the alcohol is to pick up some real hard street drugs. Well, kids, it's hard to drink when you're asleep, <laughs> having to be revived by a medical team. And but it went so well, it went to the point where when I got backstage afterwards. Uh, and was talking to my manager about it, and he said, that went really well, and he said, that bit at the top was really good. And he said, so, he said, I noticed you weren't doing that, you know, in the lead-up to it. He said, oh, is that just something you do as, like, your warm-up for your show, like your TV show and stuff? And I said, no, that was just... The... Never done it before. He thought that was a piece of music that I gave to them, them. Yeah. to go, this is my little thing that I do. And so he was a little dumbfounded as to how someone who was running around screaming like a, a complete frantic chicken beforehand, a chicken looking for a suit, uh, was able to come out and just and be chilled about it. But um, I loved it. I, I enjoyed it and intentionally went, you know, there's a routine that I haven't done for maybe five years. It's very old stuff, but I know it's going to work well here and you know, if you're going to burn something, you might as well burn something that you're not using anymore anyway. And uh, and I really enjoyed it. So it was one of those things I thought, well, that was it. It went well. Walk away. Fantastic. And so the idea that I've been asked back is something I never would have thought was going to happen. So right, people are going I'm to be very devastated when you don't do that bit. They've all do been the jig. About. Right for do a the, year. Do the Montreal bit. Imagine if you get back there and you like you have become a massive star in Montreal based on the legend of this jig and so every gig you go to people are just sitting there like is he going to do it it'll be like um, gonna do it? Eddie Izzard when he did his first I think he did comic relief or something and no one knew who he was and I think yeah. he opened the night and did this routine about being raised by wolves which went so well nobody remembered his name and he had to then perform for the next however many months or years uh, with Eddie Izzard, the guy that did, in, in quotes, the guy that did the wolf bit, Raised by Wolves bit at Comic Relief. So that'll be me. Right. He's the jig guy. Yeah, right. The Montreal, T-R-E-E-L, yeah. uh, jig guy. You should go to Montreal next year with your own show and you should, you should call it Rove Me Manners, uh, Jiggers with Attitude. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with <laughs> it. I um, I will chase you for uh, pun names with with jigs in it. That's going to be my, that's going to be my new goal is to every year have a new jig, a jig inspired comedy show name. The jig is up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like that. He's good. Uh, so I have have done the festival a few times over the years. I'm not sure what festival this is for me. It might be. How was your first one? So, Do you remember your first one? Well, I think this may be the sixth time I've been. So it, some of it blurs a little bit together. Sure. But I do remember when I first went. I feel like last time was the first time I really nailed it. Was at a level where I felt like I, I, up until then I was kind of a bit like I'm not quite at this level yet, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas last time I went, I went, I reckon I can be as funny as anyone who's on this lineup tonight. And, and uh and, you know, and then this time going back, because I haven't been back for three years because I've had other commitments at the same time, um, I've got kind of three years of, you know, what I consider to be my best shows. It's only seven minutes. I feel like I want to go back and, like, 
I look at the set that did really well last time I was there and mm-hmm. I feel like the set that I'm taking this time is so much better than that material and I feel like I'm a better comedian, you know. Mm-hmm. Just having the experience of like headlining clubs here in the US and stuff. You know, previously when I went to Montreal, even though it's a Canadian festival, it, you see it through the eye of America because it's America's, you know, the industry's festival. Yeah. Right? So... You'd always be like, well, will this stuff work in America? Does my stuff work? You know, and I think in the past I did too much of trying to change my act to suit what I thought was would work for America. Whereas now having done a bunch of gigs here, I realized that I can just do my stuff and people get that. Mm-hmm. People respond to that. So I think I'll go back to it this year with a really different attitude of like, I feel like I've got a pretty solid set that I can do, and but because I you feel have like been I'm excited headlining and and you you do a new you you have a new hour every year to then go right. You have to pick seven minutes. Not only just pick that seven minutes, but you have to perform in seven minutes. Right. Like there's no fucking around, warm up, get yourself into it. Um, here's my opening gag, and then I sort of lead into this and that. Like to try to find in, like you're saying, if you haven't been there in three years, you've got at least three hours, probably more of stuff. To try to find seven minutes and then perform in seven minutes is the part that I find very difficult. I mean, it, you were, it was interesting what you were saying about like the jig because honestly, something like that is the greatest thing that could happen. Just yeah. some nice moment at the start so you don't have to get them. Yeah. You know, because that's so, all Because you... otherwise it's like, hey, how's everyone doing? You're right. all good? Because you don't want to launch straight into it. Oh, and that first joke, you know, <sighs> like, I mean, I'm finding it really interesting because I, I feel like there is a bit that should start, but it doesn't have, like, the, the best, it's a, it's a build joke. Like, even though it's like a minute, a minute and a half, like, the first 30 seconds is really set up and then it, like, is pretty punchline heavy after that. Sure. But, which is fine when you don't do that joke first. But you know what it's like, you know, as a comedian. Like, this is an insight into the mind of the comedian. From walking out on stage, introduced by Steve Martin at the world's biggest comedy festival. So, obviously, something's gone right. right? Yeah, yeah. People are cheering. In between there and 30 seconds into your first joke when you haven't had a big laugh, you can reassess your entire career. True. You know? Very true. Like, if you're there just going, like, I've got to have the confidence that, you know, don't worry. Well, the it's, weird thing there, is... Because 30 seconds to you seems like a lot longer than it does at the audience. Oh, yeah. And even in the in the lead-up to, to doing your gala spot, they intentionally book you in all these little club gigs and stuff so that you just run through your material. It's as much for you as it is for them. So they get to see it and they can... You know, there's, there'll always be one in particular, and I'm just going from this one experience I had, where they go, all right, this is the one that we are watching yeah. to go and really for... I don't know. Is there any references that won't won't translate here? References or, that won't translate. Tone and content for the television. Balance of the gala. So exactly. They have a sense of you know. Oh well, someone else has got that topic. Yeah. But the way you're t- uh, tackling it, and you're you're. Um, and you're far enough apart than line up or exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, most of the, the little club spots and stuff I did, I was trying to do my gala spot and they're not always made for this. No. And I learned, I got to the point where I just went <laughs> and it was, it was going okay. It was going okay. And there was just that part A lot of, of them are at a comedy club at midnight. They want to see oh. some bloke say fuck. And, and it's fucking rowdy. They right. get some of them are really and rowdy. And they're saying, we want you to do your stuff. Yeah. And you're going, no. And I can't. thankfully, I... <laughs> 
I'm experienced enough. This is probably one of the benefits of getting there so late in my career is that I, I was like, you know what? I know this is going to work from watching this gala for years and years and years growing up with it. And I, I feel I know this audience and I feel I know this platform and I've chosen this piece of material specifically for that. And there's something in me that always just went, if ever I get to, I reckon this is the one I'm going to use. So just l- know that it will work. Trust that it will work. Don't judge it on these club gigs and stuff because you wouldn't do this in clubs anyway. No. Or if you did, it would be buried in amongst a whole lot of other stuff. So uh, just instead do do what you would normally do in a club, especially if you've only got five minutes or seven minutes. I would just kind of fuck around, maybe do a couple of jokes, but then you just kind of play with what's happening in the room and what the person before you has just said or whatever. So uh, I was confident enough to not test it because I thought if you keep running this every time, you will start to think this is not going to work on the night when you know there's something in you that just says... This, this will work. This is the routine to do, and it, and it will work. And I did add a, something else, something newer on the end of it just to give them something that had a bit more bite than what I was planning on doing. And sure enough, they cut it out anyway. <laughs> so uh, No, they just repackaged that. There's another clip going around uh, a lot of shows you haven't seen, which is... Uh, 45 seconds of you doing a jig <laughs> and then that closer it should be just a little meme just a right. little jigging meme uh, but yeah it's, uh, it's a jig jiff but what, what, I'm, what I'm doing this year is is a real slow burn like it's and I have been testing it as an opener which it would not normally be it would sort of sit somewhere you know, towards the end or yeah, yeah, it's one of those bits you sort of bookend it um and uh, yeah, uh, I've I've had to use it as an opener because I need to know is is it going to does it work does it work from scratch? Yeah. And it is a slow burn, but it, it unintentionally has built to having a big payoff at the end that was just written as a very uh, I'm not very proud of it sort of throwaway. Uh, that'll do as a punchline for now, and I'll come back to it. Or that's the punch. That's the the punchline for this part, and then we continue on from there, has now ended up becoming just because people will not stop enjoying it. It's, it's, like, <laughs> it's like Jerry Seinfeld talks about in, in the documentary Comedian, which I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't seen it. Him you know, starting out his material again and building up a new, a new uh, show, a stand-up show. And there's a bit that's, I think it's only on the DVD in the special features. It's like a little deleted scene where it's him and a group of other stand-ups sitting around and talking about uh, creating a joke. And, and Jerry says, it's like you're a mother bird and, you know, you've got jokes that you, you love and others that, you know, you're not as, as close to. And he says, it's like being a mother bird and you've got this little bird and you've hatched it from an egg and you've fed it, you know, with your own you know, like a, with an eyedropper kind of thing and you massaged its little wings and you've taken special care with it and then you throw it from the nest and it just drops like a stone. <laughs> and he said, then you've got this other bird that's not even a bird. It's a hamster in a bird costume and you're a little bit embarrassed about it and you're just embarrassing and just kind of kick it out of the nest hoping no one notices and it soars like an eagle. He said, that's what writing jokes are like and it's very much like that. And this is one of those hamster, bird-dressed hamster jokes. I'm just yeah. like, well, but it, it works, it works. But my only, and that's the confidence I have in delivering it is it's a slow burn. There's no major 
laugh per se. There's not like a, a bang opening uh, gag. The first laugh comes from you know, a bit of an admission more than anything else. And the hope is that it just gets a reaction. And then, and then we're kind of away. Uh, and, but I know that the payoff, it, it always works. It just builds to this crescendo and then you go bang and it, and it works. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how doing a longer, it's, it's pretty much one piece. They do say, uh, can you write out your topics? And I've kind of really got one topic and I've tried to split it into like, well, I'm talking about three different things, which I'm not really. No. Um, but so, uh, yeah, yeah. This is my one story, wackiness in shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, I don't know if this was the first time I ever did it, but if it was not the first time, it was the second time. And both of them were much earlier on sort of in my career. Um, so I was very nervous. I think back then in particular, that festival to me had a great deal of mystique about it. Like, you know, very much like you were saying, like it felt like to me as someone who wanted to be and has always wanted to be an international comedian that part of that was if you could be good at Montreal, that put you amongst, mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, you know, I remember sitting there and watching, you know, Mitch Hedberg, you know, on Montreal. And I mean, f- fuck, I remember the first year I did Montreal. I think this was definitely the first year I did Montreal. Dane Cook was doing his first Montreal. Right. And then it was like, you know, fucking one year later, he was Dane Cook, you know, playing Madison Square Gardens and, you know, debuting at number two on the Billboard charts with his album and all this stuff, ridiculous, you know. Like, you know, it was a festival that, you know, made people like, and so you, you, you were intimidated by it. So this may have been the first year I was there. It probably was because it sticks in my mind. So um, Tim Allen was mm-hmm. hosting the gala that I was doing, Tim the Tool Man, Allen. And he had just got back in the stand up a bit, like after the great success of Home Improvement. So um, he didn't really care. Oh, really? Like, he just... He didn't really care about, like, he was just taking the check and phoning it in. Ah. And, like, yeah, he wasn't back. He wasn't sharp. He didn't give a fuck, you know. And um, Carl Barron, the Australian comedian, was also on the gala that I was on. And for whatever reason, because we're both Australian, I suppose, they got the intros Uh mixed up. Uh And, like... Fucking Tim, like Taylor, Tim the fucking tool man Taylor, fucking Tim Allen has obviously just, he's never done a rehearsal, does not give a fuck. Sure. Right? And so he's just reading the intros off like he's an gonna go out and He's just going to go, oh, 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 and then walk off. He's right. done. But what, what he thinks is hilarious to do is like read the intro, but like, because he's reading it for the first time, he just stops down on points of interest and just like riffs about them. So you're standing in the wings, like oh ready to go, God. hoping that the intro is going to take like 30 seconds, right? And so you can just get out there and do your thing. And instead, he like he's like stopping. Because your going. heart starts pumping from our next performer. Right, bang. And then he's decided, oh, I want to just play with this a little bit. Well, here's the best thing, though. He's not even using my intro. So he fucked around my intro and Carl Barron's intro. <laughs> and Carl Barron has, like, on his intro, I don't know, they've picked his Australian intro or whatever. So it says things like, he's a regular on comedy shows on Channel 7 and Channel 9. And so Tim Allen starts to go into this, like... What, they have like Channel 7 and Channel 9 and that does this whole riff about how stupid they are as names for channels. So, his intro of me, because then they finally realised they were doing the wrong intro, so then he did a whole bit about that and then they started doing my intro, which was very impressive then by the time you've done <laughs> someone else's intro and then fucked it up. Uh, his entire intro of me took more time than my set. 
Wow. Yeah. And I, I was it the, working? Was no, he... no, no, it was terrible. It oh. was like, it was like watching someone like crash it into the ground and then go, can you get this back up in there? This is your first day at work, but... Yeah, you, you'll, go, you'll fix this. You'll fix this, You'll right? fix this. This uh, The irony of you having to fix something for the tool man. Right, yeah, he walked off stage, gave me a shovel and said good luck. <laughs> Which is the other thing they do tell you, do not reference uh-huh. anything in your intro, even, you know, do not acknowledge the person that just welcomed you on stage because you might end up cut... That person might not even be in your telecast. Well, this is what I was going to ask you about Steve Martin, was did you get to actually meet him? Because He was so good. We were all sort of nervously sort of looking around backstage, all kind of going, should we ask, should we, do we want to? And he, because he was emceeing, like he, he was on the other side of the stage to where most of us would sort of walk on, walk off. He would come on from one side and everyone else would walk on from the other side. So there's no sort of crossover. But um, he afterwards came backstage, congratulated everybody on a job well done and happily posed for photos with everybody. Oh, that's There was good. like a little line of us, just the performers. It's not like everyone else was... He was, he was very good at saying each of the guys who, who got up and girls, it, he would have a photo with us, which was, which was great. So um, for mine, I think there was a weird double flash on the camera. So he was smiling for the shot but then the second flash went off which was the real flash so he looks like he's on his way to do something else (laughs) or someone or it's like he's he's like the baby at the shopping center sort of set up and they've got a little stuffed animal that they're just waving outside of his eye line to kind of stop him from crying for his photo with me he looks slightly distracted but it's good it's him so i'll keep it uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this year because also the year I went, one of the reasons why they were saying, oh, that was, the, that was obviously the one to do and it was a great one to be part of was one of the other hosts was Pamela Anderson. Oh. And surprise, surprise, apparently that night did not go very well. People weren't lining up at a comedy festival to see their favourite... Yeah, there was no... Look, if you want a ticket to the Pamela Anderson right. gala, just obviously right. not going to happen. But what was interesting was talking to someone who was part of that gala and they said as the night wore on, like, it just got worse and worse for her. She was... The audience just was switching off more and more. She was not very good, not surprisingly, <laughs> but the, every time she kept coming back, there was just right. no way she was ever going to win that crowd right. over. So you're meant, saying that quantity wasn't the answer. Exactly. Right. But what happened was every performer who came out... Did well. Did really well because the crowd was like, thank you, someone who knows what they're doing, this is what we want now. As opposed to what we had, which was we we were all like, are we going to be completely overshadowed by the host of this event where any one of the rest of us is just like, "Eh, I don't know you, bring out This guy doing the jig's good, but it'd be good if Steve Martin was doing that jig. And they started introducing me as Carl Barron and I was like, what, (laughs) this is... Yeah, I mean, that's part of the joy of doing those festivals is you hope that you... Because over the years, I mean, I did, uh, Whoopi Goldberg hosted one that I did mm-hmm. and I got to meet her doing that. And John Cleese hosted one that I did and I got to meet him doing that. So it is kind of, it can be that opportunity to meet that person who is so Oh, and it's, it's one of those great pinch me moments to have. Like, I don't really have them all that much. Uh, well, you know, I, I get them from time to time. But, you know, we're both at a point in our careers and stuff where most of the things that you set yourself to do or ever wish to do, you've had the chance to do. And anything else from here on in is just kind of icing on the cake. Right. 
But it was like, I remember, like, that was one of those. if there's one thing we endorse on this show, it is cake. It is very much cake. Yeah. And the icing, for sure. Yeah. But every now and again, it's nice to just kind of have a reset where you go, there's still is something where I can go, oh, yeah, this validates me and I've, I've made it. Even if, of course, you've made it to get there, but this thing of going, I did well and I reckon I was in the top however many of what was on, on the night and uh, got to perform on the same night as Steve Martin and, and held my own and you know, was not best, but I reckon I was, I was certainly up there and I can walk away going on an international stage at the Just For Laughs Festival, I can walk away going, job well done, you, you've earned it, you've made it. And I, remember, I do remember the first time I ever had that feeling was doing, I did the last Good News Weekend Oh, yeah. It was Good News Week, uh-huh. Good News Weekend. So this was still, I was probably only a couple of years into having moved over to Perth. And at the end of the night, um, they got everybody uh, on stage to go out and, you know, I'm probably going to say there was confetti cannons, oh. probably, maybe. I think uh, Ted Robinson, if, if anyone's ever watched any of his shows over the years, in about 1960, bought steaks in a confetti fa- <laughs> f- uh, uh, factory, and he's just been using confetti fa- uh, cannons ever since. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was, uh, so ho- host uh, Paul McDermott has walked out, and then he sort of beckoned to both sort of teams to sort of come out, and everybody lined up and took a bow while the audience applauded. And I looked across, and I was looking at Flacco, Sandman, Paul McDermott, Wendy Harmer, Mikey Robbins. Uh, who else was there? Uh, I want to say Gene Kitson. Uh, but anyway, I was just looking at people that I remember. Like, these were the people I watched on the big gig. Yeah. This was that sort of graduating Which would have also of... had glitter cannons because it was Ted Robinson. Yes, it was. Yeah. They, they had a lot of those. God, they had giant inflatable cockatoos that would spew confetti yeah. of course they did why wouldn't they but it was one of those things of going wow in this audience's mind i'm in equal line with these guys and as we all take a bow yeah you you should stand there with them and that was one of those moments where i went oh well that to me was you're here now you it's now up to you to stay here or move ahead but you're you're in the door is open and it's now up to you to walk through it or let it slam behind you. What if your Montreal set had gone so well, like it had been the best gig you've ever done in your life? Would you have then in the future always got changed 30 seconds before your set? Like, would you have got in? Like, yes. Uh, maybe it's the adrenaline of... I tell you what, if I hadn't have done like 10 years of live television and 15 years of, of stand-up up until that point... I doubt I would have handled I don't know what I would have done. I would have had a fucking meltdown. Because even then I'm thinking, at the very worst, I will walk out and I will say, I'm sorry, everyone, I'm a little bit rattled because you'll never guess what just happened. And my first couple of minutes would be just saying what just happened. And Funny thing crossed- happened to me on the way to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and it really did cross my mind yeah. until I thought, you know what, they don't give a fuck. They probably don't know that it's real. And you're here now, and it's not like they introduced you and there was a, 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 a lapse in time and then you quickly came scrambling onto the stage. So uh, 
But I can certainly say that adrenaline rush, I just rode that the whole way through. And if I was a bit more relaxed, I don't know if it would have gone as well. So I would certainly have, uh, from now on, I will make sure that um, that I do not take note of when I'm on. Yeah. And I will just, if you're seeing me backstage and they're, they've actually introduced me, yeah. the jig music is playing right. and I'm backstage in tracksuit pants eating a packet of Doritos. Just, just know, I know what I'm doing. Either that or you need Tim Allen to host every gala because you've got a good <laughs> seven or eight minutes while he's flopping yeah, about. Is that me? Oh, okay, fucking up your intro. I'll just drive back to the hotel, get changed, have a shower, come back. Yeah, in that order. Get changed, then have a shower. Because yeah. i got time to dry off yeah. by the time he's ready to go. <laughs> Uh, we should finish up in a minute because uh, we were going to keep this one tight. Uh, so uh, you can catch us in Montreal. Uh, yes. Look around the Just for Last Festival. Um, they don't necessarily announce like lineups for the little gigs around town until like on the day sometimes. Mm. But you know we'll probably end up doing a, a couple of those gigs. And certainly and set, list. set list. I know we're, we're both on for that. And I th- yeah. So so there's that. But it's uh, it'll be. I'll be there for the last week of July. I um, had a uh, little... Um... <laughs> Here we go. Oh, uh, we no, wait, I... let, let me fill in the blank. Kitten. I had a, a little kitten. A, a I midget, had a little kitten. A little person. I had a little... <laughs> a little... Uh, stroke. Uh, well, I went to watch Sam Simmons do set list at Nerdmel. Which can be like having a stroke. Down. And... Uh, it was great. Uh, Kamal was on a really. It was a really strong lineup. Mark Marin dropped in, and so like, it was really nice to just go and watch the show. Like sit there. I'd done it with Bobcat Goldthwaite the week mm-hmm. before, so like you know, you kind of like. I'm just going to sit and enjoy it tonight. I'm not going to have to worry about going on on the show. And then at the end, they had a little bit of time left, and they came to me and said, "Hey, do you want to get up and and go on and do set list?" So I did like a little set, just a couple of topics. <laughs> And that's what it was like when we're having the discussion. Because I'm like, do you want to do a set? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not on tonight. Like, I don't want to be that person who comes down and then has the go on. They go, oh, we've got a little time. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't, I mean, only if you've got time for me. And they go, just have a little set. Just a couple of topics. And I'm like, I'll just have a couple of topics. That so you do one true. topic and then it's straight into my big closer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I accidentally did uh, uh, seven topics where... Um, it was going well, and in playing with the premise of yep. this is my normal routine. And I, I was on the last topic, which you know because we'll say my big closer, which is your and the audience's way of knowing, you know, this is it. And then I just, as a, as a throwaway joke, just within the little uh, fictional bubble of, well, this is my regular set, um, just went, you know, you've been such a great crowd. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So they thought backstage oh he's like he's wanting more oh right and so they put up another topic and so i meant as in that's my closer topic is going to be an encore kind of thing that i wouldn't normally do so i had done i had addressed the topic and and made a joke and they just thought well that was enough i had more i was going to go with and then they changed it on me so i just thought oh something's fucked up the count is wrong it wasn't time for my last one or whatever reason they've gone with another one and so i just did that one and then just kept because i just went well there's no big close thing so i just did another one and then they just until eventually i was i think i looked over and they realized oh he wasn't wanting to do more 
so then they put it up. So they ended up doing like seven or something. And uh, then afterwards they said, oh, we thought, yeah, you wanted to just keep going. We're going to do another another five. I was like, fucking no way. I, had I, one... did the, I did the TV tapings and I did 10. You do 10. No, I think it was 12 in one night. Right. That's, that makes your brain work. That so I brain had work. my first one where I like fucked up the as in like there's no wrong or right way yeah, to yeah, do yeah, it yeah, yeah. but where i realized the joke that i was building wasn't what like most people were reading the topic you know like sometimes you do that on purpose but i think it was like it was called uh, 1500k abstinence uh-huh. or something so i was doing this whole thing about this relay of people who had to hold on to their like you know they were they had to be erect it was it was curing something <laughs> They had to be erect, but they weren't having sex. And it was like a relay where they would walk across the country. And then they, like it was like a relay. You'd hold each other's... Anyway, whatever. That was the whole thing. And because I was doing like 1,500 kilometers. Sure. And then I like, got to the whole thing. And I'm like, why are they not getting in? Why not? And then I'm like, ah, oh, I'm in America. It's miles. miles. This makes no sense. Like, they're not looking at 1,500k as kilometers. So then how do, you, how do you get out of that? Oh, then I just did a whole bit about that. About how it hadn't been caught on in America because of the name and not changing it because of the metric yeah, system. And I had one of those ones. It's only ever happened to me once. I knew it would, you know, the law of averages would catch up with me. Where you, know, you can either blag on something until you sort of hit the right track, or you just kind of verbally go through what's in your head, and the process happens in front of the audience until again you kind of find where it is. Uh, and you know, for those rare times, you straight away go, Ah, I know exactly where i'm going with this one i had one of those ones where i was just like i'm just um i don't quite have anything i'll just start and we'll see where we end up and then uh just started to snowball on something that was kind of okay and i was getting by and it was all right i'd done well up until that point so you kind of go yeah you as i've always said to anybody you're never going to nail all all of them On, on a night where you go that was great you'll get three out of five but uh I'd never had this before. I was midway through and just went, oh, no, you know what would be better than this complete <laughs> thing that I brought up? Now that I think of it, yeah. you know, and there was no way of, well, I'll now guide Same this to where. No. It was and like a choose your own adventure. So I, uh, yeah. You had to go back. And I, and I opened the page that went the end and I quickly shut it and went, no, I didn't. Oh, that I was go not, this way. I didn't that go was, this that way. Wasn't, and then dropped the book and picked it back up again. So I had to do a complete, oh, you know what would be completely better than this? Uh, and pulled the ripcord on it, which I would prefer not to do. But sometimes the uh, Doctor Who big friendly button, we all need it. I like. I think the audience... Uh, how did you uh, feel like Doctor Who finished up? Oh, yes, we haven't talked about that. I, um, I re-watched the entire season yes. again. And I can say that I was probably harsher on it than I could have should have been but I thought Bellas and St John opened really well um, uh, Rings of Akaten was bad yep. um, Cold War really liked it um, was very very disappointed with the last line they should have cut that out the whole oh I found where the TARDIS is it's at the pole hooray I meant the South Pole Wah. and everyone's ha, 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 ha. back down into the sub you're like wait a minute so how did we get it how did we get back there no don't do that um, and then what was next that's um, from the new series Dr. Wah <laughs> Dr. Dr. Wah Wah uh, and uh 
Uh, Hyde, yeah, was was good. Nice little scary thing. Yeah. Don't know the whole, you know, this is actually good. It got a bit convoluted more than it needed to at the end, but I liked it, especially because that was the first one they shot with Jenna Louise Coleman. And uh, Crimson Horror, meh, the Tom Tom joke, someone deserves to be shot, and you know who you are, Mark Gaddis, for writing that joke. Uh, and... Uh, Nightmare in Sil- oh, Journey to the Centre of the Tardis you know, Just was- by the way The Tom Tom joke I couldn't When I was watching it It was like One of those moments Where you're like I can't tell whether That's great Or I hate that Yeah You know like Because With something like that You're like Oh that's No that's not great No I like that. And I, again watching it again I was like No No No, no. Um, uh, Journey to the Centre of the Tardis Was it, it would have been better if they could have put more of the budget that they maybe spent on Akaten to have all these incredible creatures to make that what we probably would have all liked it to have been. But, uh, but you know, nice that we went there. Uh, Nightmare in Silver was much better the second time around than I thought it was the first time around. Uh, and uh, the name of the Doctor was spectacular. I right. loved it. It came home strong, I thought. came home series. very strong, but there's something to be said for Stephen Moffat concentrating on the 50th anniversary and getting the latest season of Sherlock up and happening, you can see where he maybe wasn't as across this season overall as he normally would be. And when he was, geez, it was, it was right in the, in the pocket. So my hope is him concentrating on the 50th is going to, he will, he will do it justice. So, uh, I don't know what that means. What, what do you think the, the, what's the new doctors? What's the, the, well, my theory is, uh, the John Hurt doctor. Yes. So the name of the doctor is not his real name. I can, uh, uh, sympathize or, or connect with it on the fact that my name is not Rove. It's John, Mm. but I connect with the Rove part more than, anything else right. and and so the doctor well a lot of people is, don't know that the doctor had to change his name after having his identity stolen he did yeah. the psychic paper right. it could have been anything <laughs> and uh, yeah so I think because we never saw Paul McGann turn into Christopher Eccleston yes and uh, when we first see Eccleston in uh, Rose there's a scene where he looks in the mirror and he grabs his ears and kind of looks at himself and he goes oh I've had worse which says suggests he's fresh from a regeneration post-time war. So I'm guessing that it's somewhere in between there he had to do something that, well, we know all the uh, Time Lords got wiped out yep. as well as the Daleks and everybody else post-time war. So it's probably something the Doctor did to completely sacrifice everything but not in what the spirit of the name of the Doctor represents. And that's when this one was kind of taken out of the timeline. But I think that might be too obvious because it does mean that somewhere there's a Doctor... Uh, nine of seven, eight a, which is kind of weird. That which sort of the idea of Matt Smith is not officially eleven, I think is kind of a bit weird. So I'll be interested to see where they go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but much like the Clara thing, I had ideas. It was not oh she's going to jump into this scar in time and be splintered all through his his entire life story. So I had theories, but I didn't think any of them were correct. And I think the fact that that's where what I think this John Hurt character is is what most people think it is says to me it will be something very different. Right. I'll keep us guessing. Uh, yeah, I'm very interested, though. It's a good... Um, because the other theory that I hear is... Like, and then we get a regeneration before the end of the year. Right. With a new Doctor. A new Doctor, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I was sad to see Matt Smith going, but I didn't think... I thought he was great 
still in this series, but I didn't think this series was fantastic. So no, but maybe he's got he's got that will... character down right. to a fine art now, and I like I like what it's become. Uh, so it'll be it'll be tricky. But then we all thought that about David Tennant, and then Matt Smith came along and did an outstanding job. So uh, it'll just be exciting when they announce it, and we can all, you know, be there to see another one happen. What about Rove McManus, Doctor? I'd do it. You'd be a good Doctor. I'd fucking do it. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I would. <laughs> absolutely, I would do it. I would. I would be a companion begrudgingly. Right. But uh, oh, you've got a touch of Adric about you. Are you good? <laughs> A whingy little gay maths student. Uh, but be, he killed, like, who killed the dinosaurs too. Right, exactly. So Crashed his ship and killed, killed the Cybermen, but also killed the dinosaurs. Thanks yeah. a lot. You could be like the gritty reboot. You could be Radrick. Radrick. Yeah. I'd like to be... Uh, I'd be uh, Jamie, the second Doctor's companion, who got about in the kilt all the time. Oh, yeah. I'd do that. Or I'd be Perry and just grab Menorks. Constantly grab Menorks all day. If, if you were going to be the Doctor, what do you think you quirk? Like, I mean, they all have their little quirks. Yeah, I would... Uh, I think Tenant dress is the closest to what I would... I like to dress. Uh-huh. It worries me because what I wear on television is almost exactly what Ellen wears. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a picture of her the other day. I was like, oh, I like that outfit. I was like, yeah, because that's exactly what you wear. Sort of little suits, rolled up sleeve, sort of vest, tie, but sneakers. Right. Oh, and you're doing her bit, dancing at the start of your gig. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I have a thing for Australian women. <laughs> Uh-oh. You are, Ellen. <laughs> I would, uh, I don't know. I mean, vegetables have been <laughs> done. Show, Scarves sing- have been done. Uh, what, cat badges, uh, recorders. Yeah. Patrick Troughton had a re- recorder. Oh, you know what? I'd go back to doing something. I'd, I'd be the jigging doctor. That would yeah. be me. J- uh, John Pertwee was the karate chomping doctor. Uh-huh. I'd be the jigging doctor. I'd just be... Jigging it just everywhere. jigging everywhere through space. <laughs> jigging Look, through space. Think of how many aliens would get confused by that. We're going to blow this planet up. But oh, before you do... <laughs> and while they're confused, my companion goes around and clocks them in the <laughs> Foolproof. All right. Um, people... Hey, oh. Who say is that where people still find you? Who say uh, and uh, yes, Rove on the Who say website or uh, or of course on Twitter is probably the best as well to find me. But, at, uh, at Rove. At Rove. Oh, okay, that's easy. And uh, after Montreal, what have you got uh, coming up? I should mention uh, in regard to this podcast that um, I will be doing the uh, LA Podcast Festival, which will be the first ever live faux fop. Um, so uh, there's some amazing shows on at the LA Podcast Festival so um, uh, get tickets for that at lapodfest.com I think is the address for that Um, also uh, by the time this comes out I think my dates for uh, Sydney uh, for Perth and for Canberra should be on sale I'm only only doing a couple of shows in uh, each of the places so um, just uh, due to the election and some TV commitments so get in quick if you want tickets for those places that would be cool um, or, or uh, remember to rate the show on iTunes that's always um, fantastic if you can do that as well and uh, for American listeners uh, hopefully I'm still coming to uh, Washington DC in a few weeks so um, uh, check out my Twitter or my Facebook for details of my uh, Washington DC gigs. Uh, anything you want to plug, my friend? Uh, mainly, uh, well, yeah, I've got gigs around town here in LA, but again, if people follow me on Twitter, they'll be aware of them. Um, but uh, some Sydney gigs uh, between whenever you listen to this and the end of the year, I'm sure. Uh, but they will be announced. Uh, you, you'll, you'll know. 
There you go. <laughs> you'll know, people. You'll know. You'll, you'll, yeah, you'll find know. it. You'll find it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ro. No problems.